Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237. Or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Friday morning, the 18th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Kian Corla, Sean O'Friel, Michal Martin, Leo Bradker, Simon Covey, Helen McEntee and Pascal Donoghue were all named by the Russian Foreign Ministry as people on a list of 52 politicians it has placed on what it calls a stop list, banning them from travelling into Russia. The names of the other politicians on this travel ban have been given to the Department of Foreign Affairs. Charlie Flanagan, Jennifer Carroll McNeil, Neil Richmond, Ivana Bakic, Jim O'Callaghan, Sean Hoy. Timmy Dooley and Billy Kelleher are all said to be on the list and subject to the ban. Let's talk now to the Minister for European Affairs and Fianna Fáil TD for Meath East, Thomas Byrne, who's on the line. Good morning, Minister. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. And I understand, Minister, you feature on this list yourself. Yeah, the department informed me that I'm on the list. Uh, there's 52 names that have been provided. Um, everybody on the list is banned from travelling to Russia. Uh, quite frankly, I don't think anybody had any immediate plans to travel to Russia, so it's not going to have any impact really whatsoever on any individual uh, who's on that list. OK. Uh, do you believe you're guilty as charged? Uh, I, I don't know what they've accused us of. OK, frankly. well, uh, I'm supposed to go through some of the things in the statement from the Foreign Ministry. Uh, aggressive anti-Russian propaganda. No, what we've done is what Ireland has always done, which is to you know work to uphold the United Nations Charter, and that fundamentally includes um, protecting the rights of all countries uh, to their border, 
uh, to protect themselves, to self-defend. And that's, that's really all that we have upheld, and that's entirely within international law and entirely within the traditions of Ireland's foreign policy. Okay, has led, that led to this other charge against you, which is that you've been fueling Russophobic hysteria? No, I mean, look, this this is not correct. I mean, uh, the, the issue is not, the issue is with Vladimir Putin and his government and his administration and those who support him. Uh, that's the issue that we have here. Uh, Russia, you know, could be and has been a fantastic country at various points. Uh, wonderful literature, wonderful music, uh, wonderful place to visit. In fact, I was there 20 years ago in the Ireland-Russia game. Uh, wonderful city, Moscow. Uh, but unfortunately, at the moment, there's a government there that are really trying to completely destroy the world order. And destroy the European order and cause chaos for for all of us, really, but particularly for the Ukrainians. Uh, and that's that's what we've been working, and we've been criticising them, uh, and we've never engaged in Russophobia or you know anti-Russian sentiment or anything like that. Okay, uh, there was uh, an attack on uh, the Russian embassy in March of uh, this year, which uh, I'm sure nobody would have been supportive of. But it, it seems uh, that Yuri Vilatov is uh, saying that you're responsible for that, directly or indirectly, as a, a consequence of uh, this Russophobic hysteria that you've been stirring up in society. No, I mean, look, there were. I mean, look, everyone's entitled to protest. I mean, quite frankly, some of the protests probably went a little bit far at that particular point, but people were very angry. Uh, about what happened in Ukraine. Um, I certainly didn't go to a protest there uh, as a minister. I have plenty of opportunities to make my protest, my objections clear uh, to what Russia is doing, and I've done that on numerous occasions. Um, but I can absolutely yeah. say that Ireland has completely upheld all of its obligations under the Vienna Convention, which regulates embassies and diplomacy and, and how diplomats are treated in various countries. We've absolutely upheld everything that we're required to do in that. So so this is completely false. Okay, well, these are uh, the points in the statement from the Foreign Ministry, which says it's being guided by the position of Dublin. In other words, the ambassador. Uh, in other words, this is the reason that Yuri Vilatov has put you and 51 other people on this travel ban list. Well, look, that's what they say. Um, that's what the ambassador says. The ambassador has spoken on the media on a number of occasions before he didn't come off too well from it because I think quite frankly his position is uh, indefensible um, but they, for some reason they have singled Ireland out because uh, as far as we can gather uh, they haven't done this to this extent to any other European Union country they have done it to in Britain they've done it with the US and with Canada uh, but I suppose they see us uh, as a country that is not part of NATO and uh, not part of a military alliance uh, but still very, very strongly supportive of those fundamental rules of international law, uh, those, those rules that affect countries, so that right for a country to, to defend itself, uh, and a strong objection to any country t- trying to take over another country, which is what Russia has been doing. Uh, and that's, I think, why we've been singled out. Right. Uh, the Taoiseach describes uh, this move as hybrid warfare, and many people are understandably asking why the person responsible for this hybrid warfare remains in this country and has diplomatic status? Well, look, I mean, quite frankly, that's a very, very good question, and there are different points of view on that. Uh, for the moment, the government position is uh, that we think it is better to maintain diplomatic relations uh, with Russia. I mean, the main reason is that if we expel the ambassador, more than likely our team in Moscow would be expelled, and quite frankly, they have important work to do, particularly with regard to Irish citizens in Russia and to give them help and support and protection uh, as best they can. Uh, that's the main reason. Um, the Taoiseach said in the Dáil the other day very clearly that diplomacy is the last line of communication. Uh, I think that's correct. 
and there always has to be a place of diplomacy. This war will end. I hope that Russia uh, and this Russian government will be defeated. Uh, and at that time, there will be time for talks, and th- th- those talks will involve, I, w- I would say, all of us at that particular time. I think it is important for us to maintain uh, those lines of, of communication, even though, quite frankly, those lines of communication are pretty strained at the moment, and the communications wouldn't be regular. Mm. Uh, and, and But we still had to do what we had to do yesterday. I mean, if we didn't have, if this was done um, remotely, uh, we wouldn't be able to have had that meeting yesterday to make clear yeah. our mm. objections to this situation, okay. but primarily... This is about Irish citizens in Russia. And those diplomatic uh, talks uh, took place yesterday in Ivy House, uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs, uh, with uh, the most senior civil servant and the ambassador discussing what Ireland describes as an unacceptable, an absolutely unacceptable position that the ambassador has taken on behalf of his country against senior politicians in this country. Uh, Do you know what the ambassador said? Well, I mean, the the meeting will remain confidential. It actually took place with the Deputy Secretary-General. Um, so the meeting is confidential, but I mean the, the, the Deputy Secretary General would have made our position very, very clear, and that's the position that the Taoiseach would have outlined, that Mr. Coveney has been outlining as well, and I've been outlining, uh, that this is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, the, the request was that we would have to list the names. Uh, this is unacceptable. Um, and then the question as to why we have been singled out, and, and that's not a question, quite frankly, that's been satisfactorily answered. Mm. You're, you're not in a position to tell us uh, what the Ambassador said. No, I mean, I think details of that meeting should remain confidential. I mean, but there's I no change in position for, anyway, obviously. No, there's no change in position, no. I mean, the, the list of names was handed over and we were told that the, the people on the list were subject to a travel ban to Russia. Mm, OK. Uh, you're an enemy of uh, the Russian state, as are uh, 51 other senior politicians, it seems, in this country. Uh, does that mean that we are not a neutral country in this war? No, I'm, I'm not an, any, an enemy of anybody. Um, I mean, I think the Russian people have great potential, great potential to be brought back into the family of nations, but they're mm. going to have to get rid of Putin and Putinism within okay, Russia. Okay, but you're not allowed to um, travel into Russia because I think Russia sees you as an enemy. Uh, you know. well, that's, that's up to them. Yeah, but that's the point. Russia. I, mm. I had dreams of someday bringing mm. the kids on the Trans-Siberian Express, but I mean, so that's, that's not been realistic mm. for the last few years anyway, anyway the way Putin's carrying on. And that's not going to be realistic anytime soon for anybody. Um, so that's never going to happen. Um, we, we, we are going to continue our work. Uh, we're going to continue um, proposing maximalist sanctions on Russia mm. because what they're doing is wrong. We're going to continue to help Ukraine. Mm. Um, but also all of this conversation has completely distracted us um, from the fact that they are raining missiles on Ukraine mm. and killing people and civilians, forcing many to flee, mm. uh, heightening the migration crisis around Europe, uh, dividing political systems, and this, these are the aims of Vladimir Putin. This is what he wants to do uh, to all of us. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, um, the more we talk about this, which I, I accept is absolutely mm. necessary, but the more we talk about this, uh, the more we are distracted from those other really, really important issues that affect people day to day, particularly mm. Ukrainians, but yeah. also all the rest of us. Ironically, I think it, it probably helps us to refocus on some of those issues uh, because I think people are taking umbrage with the position Russia has taken against all of us uh, by putting a, a travel ban on, on our senior politicians. Uh, it, it really is an insult to all of the people of Ireland. Well, yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's different reactions to this. I mean, there are certainly people taking umbers at this and people are very annoyed about that. That's perfectly understandable. There are other people uh, treating this with hilarity and that's an understandable reaction as well. Uh, I think the government will be somewhere in the middle, um, but we certainly won't be 
distracted from the core focus, which is helping the people of Ukraine uh, to the best that we can help them. Mm. Uh, in cooperation with other countries and in the European Union as well. Okay, you're in Brussels today, Minister. Uh, You'll be meeting once again with Maris Safkic about the Northern Ireland Protocol. What more can you tell us? Well, look, I mean, I'll be meeting Maris Safkic and then he will be uh, briefing all of the European Affairs Ministers as to progress in the Brexit talks uh, at the moment. So we listen to what he says. Those talks are taking place between the EU uh, and the UK. I think what I expect will be we'll be told is that the technical talks are continuing at pace, uh, that there is actually a really good atmosphere at that level, uh, which has chimed in with the really good atmosphere between the politicians. Um, my my own view, and I'll be saying this, is which I think that we do need to see um, significant progress over the next couple of weeks. I think the British, to some extent, have been um, focused on other issues, particularly their budget, but also the fact that Rishi Sunak has been travelling to various international conferences recently, including the G20 in Indonesia. And I'd be very hopeful to see some movement from the British side and indeed a a deepening of these talks uh, very, very soon. But that has to happen very, very soon if we're going to get progress. Okay. Uh, Are you concerned that the DUP may become uh, embedded in its position? It's seen a rise in its popularity. Its rating's up uh, 3% uh, and uh, we've 31% of unionists who want significant changes to the protocol. 49% of those want it scrapped completely before devolution is restored. Well, look, I mean, unfortunately for them, the protocol will be staying, but what we're trying to do is is to make sure that it works as efficiently and as effectively for all of the people of Northern Ireland. The majority of people of Northern Ireland voted against Brexit, um, and there are clearly lots of people there with difficult, who have difficulties with the protocol. But we do know that Notwithstanding the challenges, notwithstanding the difficulties, um, the protocol, I think, is absolutely essential for agricultural industry in general in Northern Ireland. It's absolutely essential essential if you want to have investment and uh, jobs that that deal with exporting uh, because you need access to that European market uh, efficiently. And if there are difficulties there with parcels, if there are difficulties there with small retailers who import from uh, Great Britain, uh, then that's why the European Commission is willing to talk to Britain and willing to see what we can do to ease uh, those particular burdens. But that requires Britain to come to the table. But what I want at the end of this day is mm. a win-win for everybody, a win-win for Northern Ireland, for all of the people in Northern Ireland. I'm absolutely confident we can get that. The two governments work together and the two sides work together. Uh, and there is increasing evidence that that is starting to happen, uh, particularly on the British side. OK, but you say the protocol will remain in place and it will work positively for the people of Northern Ireland. Is the truth uh, not, in fact, that the protocol will work negatively for all of the people in Northern Ireland if Stormont is not uh, restored? Well, I mean, first of all, there has been an election in Northern Ireland some time ago. You know, it's the job of politicians to form a government. We'll try and resolve the protocol issues, but there may be other issues there that are preventing the DUP going into government. And I think what happened before, we saw there was public pressure, there was a, a lack of action on certain issues, forcing parties effectively back into, into government. That may happen in this particular case because we see that support uh, for Northern Ireland is definitely slower um, because they don't have support, saying the cost of living crisis is definitely slower because they don't have a government. Uh, relying on action or inaction uh, from London, and that mm. may be increasingly difficult. Um, but it's up to us, I think, to resolve those issues on the protocol in order that nobody would have an excuse to say, oh, look, this is causing me a huge difficulty or this is a major problem we can't go in. We want to be in a situation where we can say, look, this is here, 
so that you can benefit and you all can benefit. Mm. And we've reduced the burden to the greatest extent possible. OK, but if it results uh, in no assembly and no executive, uh, it uh, will do the opposite of benefiting people. Well, I don't think the pro- at the end of the day, when these talks conclude, and I'm absolutely certain they will at this point, that I'm pretty convinced that Britain wants to, to do a deal and to make sure that it doesn't have this thing on its agenda that the Americans aren't bringing up with Britain, the European colleagues aren't bringing up with Britain that they've been doing over the last number of weeks. They want this off the agenda. And I'm absolutely confident that if, if agreement is reached, if those burdens are reduced on a permanent basis, that the British government, the Irish government, will be able to sell that. And if people don't accept that then, I mean, it won't be the protocol that's the problem, it's something else. And the British and Irish government will have to deal with that. Uh, but certainly at that point, the protocol wouldn't be an excuse for anybody to stay out of the exempt. Okay. Minister, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Thank you, Michael. Thomas Byrne is uh, the Minister for European Affairs and a Fianna Fáil TD for Meatheast. Michael Reed on LMFM. If talking to children about the birds and the bees was as simple as talking to children about only birds and bees, some people might be happy. To be honest, I didn't exactly choose to be here. I mean, what does sex have to do with our three-year-old? I didn't learn about this stuff until secondary school and that was fine with my parents. I grew up thinking that sex was something shameful, but that's wrong. I can already see that our two-year-old is curious about her body. It's pretty funny. And isn't it better they learn from us rather than other kids who only think they know what they're talking about because their parents don't talk to them either? My nine-year-old's friend actually told her just last week that girls eat their tampons. She saw it online. But I'm so embarrassed by the words I'd have to say. Ordinarily, we would place a parental warning on an item like this, advising you listening to expect content with an adult theme. But what you are listening to is actually an excerpt from one of nine videos published by the HSE, which wants parents to have conversations like this with their children. I get it, but I still don't know if I can say the word penis in front of my child. Embarrassment is one of those catchy feelings. And most of us caught embarrassment about sexual things from people around us when we were very young. So we never get to find out that these words are just words and that it's really healthy and okay to say them out loud. You're right. Why should I be embarrassed to say testicles or erections? Nipples? Masturbation. Vulva. Clitoris. Ejaculation. Scrotum. Vagina. Penis! <laughs> Good job, everyone. All right. It is hard not to laugh, I think. Uh, it's actually an excerpt, as I say, from a HSE video, which is asking you to think about making the big talk many small talks. Let's speak to Maura Germain, who's the, the Education and Training Manager with the HSE's Sexual Health and Crisis Pregnancy Programme. Good morning to you, Maura, and thank you indeed for joining us on the well, programme uh, this good morning. Good morning to Michael, and thank you very much for uh, publicising our resources. We're absolutely delighted to be here this morning to talk to you about it. Very good. Healthy and okay uh, to be using that kind of language, but uh, I have no doubt that there's some people listening to us cringing this morning. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's really understandable considering where we've come from. But, you know, our resources, and this is just one of them, they are based on, you know, really solid evidence internationally and nationally around the benefits of parents and children being able to have these conversations 
on a gradual incremental basis as they go through, you know, toddlers, childhood, um, adolescence and young adulthood. You know, there's some really, really good yeah. health benefits and psychological and social benefits to it. So it can be really awkward because it's not what we're used to. Yeah. But we're really wanting to say to parents that the more that you do it and the more that you find small opportunities, you know, the whole message is in the title, making the big talk, many small talk. Mm. So just finding those everyday opportunities to, you know, have those just small little inputs into your child's life. So if they're talking about their body, you know, to to include their whole bodies, including their genitals, mm. you know, um, and the more you use the words, the less loaded they become. For children, you know, if you say the little boy has a penis, that's what he has. Mm. You know, he doesn't get all the, the lo- adult loading that we put on these words. Yeah. If you, so, if you use yeah. a, a different word, that's the word uh, that's uh, used for it. Uh, but uh, it really is just a, a word. I think my generation uh, would have uh, called it the dreaded talk. Uh, and by the time... <laughs> By the time it came round to have the dreaded talk, it was uh, long past time, as the man said there. We didn't uh, talk about this till uh, we were in secondary school. I, I said there that that's one of nine videos you've published. You said uh, it's one of your resources. And that's what I, I think is the message for people this morning, that this is a resource. Uh, we should explain that it's an animated video. That was just a, a bit of it. And I, I gather the idea is that parents would sit down and watch these videos with their children. Um, well, actually, the videos are more for the parents. So, um, so as I was saying, we have a range of resources. So, uh, for parents of, you know, we'd be saying from the moment your child is born, long before they can talk, um, they're getting messages about relationships and sexuality. And um, our first resource from the HSE is the mychild.ie site, which talks about all aspects of, you know, early life and how parents can support their child. And it actually has a sex on, I say sex, it actually has a section on healthy sexuality development, because we're giving our message, we're giving unspoken messages, you know, from the moment the child is born about their body, about how it is to be a man, a woman, or, you know, whatever in the world. So that's our first resource. And then we have a booklet for the four to seven year old, for parents of the four to seven year olds, mm. um, that deals with all the usual questions. You know, why? Why is this part? You know, why is my penis smaller than yours? Why? You know, playing doctors. What? How do parents react yeah. to those type of things? Where do babies come from? Where do babies come from? That question. Yeah. yeah. And, and you often hear it said that it should be there. age appropriate, and you've broken it down into age categories: four to seven, eight to twelve, and then thirteen to eighteen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, because, you know, we know that parents want to do this. We know that children and, would you believe it, adolescents want to talk to their parents, but it can be difficult. So what, you know, what we want to do is to support parents to think about, you know, these different stages of their child's life and what their child might need, and then to think about where they are with these issues and topics and maybe to just, you know, take those opportunities that the child offers during the course of everyday life to have these conversations. And, mm. um, you know, rather than do, as you say, the dreaded big talk. Yeah. You know, the big talk doesn't do anyone any favours. 
it's hard for the parent, it's hard for the, and particularly if it comes in adolescence when the child is getting to that stage where they're wanting to kind of move away a little bit from the family, move more towards their friends, friends and peers. So starting early if you can and, you know, developing that warm, connected relationship hmm. is really crucial. Yeah. But I would say it's never too late. And uh, perhaps uh, at, a, at a stage of adolescence, some children are sexually active uh, and children become sexually active younger and younger all of the time. And I think uh, one of the things you're saying is that uh, the role of parents is very important in this, uh, and you have research to back that up for both parents and children. Uh, but there is also the concern about where children learn about sex, uh, um, what is appropriate uh, and consensual sex. Uh, and if they're getting that information otherwise, uh, and most dangerously off the internet, it can have a damaging effect. Absolutely. And as you say, the research actually tells us that in in families where parents and children have these conversations, they are more likely to delay for sex. And when they become sexually active later on, they're more likely to use safer sex practices, including consistent condom use. You know, so there's really good sound evidence to show the really tangible benefits um, of these I mean, it's it's not just the conversation, it's that warm, connected relationship that really came out strongly from the research. You know, that families where you have this warm, connected relationship that, you know, have the ability to talk about things as they crop up. And it doesn't have to be perfect. We're not, in fact, it's better not to be perfect. Mm. It's not about parents lecturing children. You know, it's about a two-way conversation, both parties learning from each other and you know finding information as you need it mm. but it's really about the connection yeah okay you know, well, as you say you know children and adolescents they're getting information from everywhere yeah. from par- from schools from media from friends and they need you know some support in filtering that to see you know does it actually support them and how does it fit with their own values and what they want in their lives? Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you need to be able to tell a nine-year-old that girls aren't eating tampons as uh, <laughs> the case Well, yeah, that's a basic yeah, one, yeah. Whatever the case may be. But they're, they're hearing this stuff, uh, and uh, unless uh, you're involved, uh, well, uh, they will make of it what they will. Uh, Maura, thank you indeed. Uh, The theme is Making the Big Talk, Many Small Talks uh, and uh, available through the HSE website. Uh, I think people will find it easy enough and I'm sure they'll find it a very valuable resource at that. Thank you, as I say, for joining us uh, this morning, though. That's uh, Maura Germain, who's uh, the Education and Training Manager with the HSE's Sexual Health and Crisis Pregnancy Programme. Michael Reed on LMFM. The pipe dream that has been the narrow water bridge looks set, it seems, to become a reality. The Taoiseach is in Newry this morning and at 11 o'clock is going to announce that the project is to be put out to tender. Let's uh, speak to Paddy Malone, who's uh, the PRO with uh, Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. And uh, a very good morning to you, Paddy. Thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, I think they said it could never be done when the European money was withdrawn. Uh, it looks like it's going to be. It does. I mean, I, I've got to admit, I, I can remember going up to see uh, Leo Varadkar when he was Minister for Industry and Commerce and his officials looking blankly at me and saying, 
Mr Malone, you do realise this is item number 40 or 60 or something on the National Roads Development Association. I said the Minister is the Minister for, Industry, for Transport and Tourism, and it's the tourism part that I'm speaking to him as, not mm. nothing to do with transport. Uh, and I, I just said, if, if you don't get that, you'll never, get, you'll never understand what we are talking about, you know? So... Mm. Um, well, I don't think and, you, and I, stage, I don't think you need to sell it to anybody here in this part of the world. No, no you don't. You don't. Yeah. But at that stage, we thought that the cost was going to be around thirteen and a half to fourteen million. Yeah, that's what Louth County Council officials were saying when it went out the tender. At that stage, the cheapest price came in at thirty-seven and a half. Yeah. They really made the bags of it, uh, and it's coming back to haunt us now. I, I think this is uh, the other side to the story. Whilst the bridge is going to become uh, a reality, it's going to be built. Uh, it will benefit people uh, on both sides of the border, but there'll be no British money, and there certainly won't be 18 million coming from Europe. No, this is going to be funded by ourselves. And I was listening to the news this morning saying between 20 and 40. It's not. It's going to be significantly more than that. Now, I don't have any problem with it from a tourism point of view. I think the more I've been arguing, and the Chamber have been arguing for years, that uh, Board Forger uh, have been too focused on the, on the south and the west, and Northern Ireland tourism has been far too focused on the Titanic Water and the glens, um, and up to the Causeway Coast. The, 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 the Mourn and the, this whole idea of Mourn, Gully and Cooley has been badly neglected by both organisations is a very valid one. Yeah. Uh, and the three chambers, Drawer, Dundalk and Uri, have met over the summer discussing this very... Oh, well, but I'm sure they're delighted in Uri, but why is there no British money? I mean, you can understand that the European 18 million is gone uh, because they had agreed to fund it to the tune of 18 million uh, and then we couldn't come up with the rest because of Louth County Council making a hames of the thing and getting uh, the price of it underestimated. But the 18 million came to Ireland and it was spent, I think 10 million was spent on the Vidic Bridge in Drogheda, for example. So Europe fulfilled its commitment. So you can't be looking back to them. But why is there no British money? I think the answer is that it would have to come from a Stormont executive. And there isn't one. And, you know, I mean, Conor Murphy is the Minister of Finance, or he was, and he probably still is. And, and I think he still is, actually, technically. Um, so, I mean, he would understand this need probably better than most as, as a South Armagh uh, MLA. Uh, and don't forget, Armagh actually touches... Funny, peculiar well, thing. If, than down if you're down right, down then that sounds like Michal Martin had intended to do this uh, before he stepped down as Taoiseach, uh, because I think the expectation think is that I the Assembly... Huge, yeah, I think he's given a huge commitment to this area, and I think it's, 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 it's one to be welcomed. Uh, it's a pity that the North isn't putting money into it, uh, but maybe they will when when when. But but the Irish taxpayer is paying for Michal Martin to fulfil his legacy. Uh, if uh, they were to hold off for a couple of months, surely Dan Stormont would be back up and running, and there would be British money available. Well, you know that's a, that's a matter for the Taoiseach and for others to decide. As a, as you know, as a well as a businessman, as a businessman, I'm sure you understand the business case, Paddy. As a business organisation in North Louth, yeah. I would welcome anything. Absolutely. But as a, as a businessman, I'm sure you understand the business case. The balance is up the neglect that both Northern Ireland tourism and both Forge have shown over the decades. Mm. And even post the peace process, we still didn't get our first share. Michael, I don't know whether you remember or not, but when Ireland's Ancient East was launched, mm. the following day, I had a conference, or the Chamber had a conference 
on what was called battlefield tourism, advertising the, the history of the region. Mm. But Ireland's Ancient East was launched the day before with the slogan, starting in Drawda and ending in Cork. Forgetting the whole of the county that has got Cúhollin and Finn McCool mm. and the whole history, the mythology of Ireland is a, embedded in County Louth and yet Boat Fortune forgot. Ah, yeah, but, 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 I mean, as a businessman, surely you uh, would uh, agree that you don't spend money on a vanity project, uh, that if you're going to make savings on it, you, you, you hold off for a week or two or a month or two. Well, you know, I think... There is, an, there is an element that the Taoiseach, I'm sure, did want to get this launched uh, while he was Taoiseach. And, and I can understand that and the commitment that he has given to the, to the Shared Island Front, you know, I mean, um, is there and the money has to be spent. Mm. And, you know, I would prefer to see Northern Ireland money coming in. Mm. I would prefer to see a commitment from Northern Ireland Tourism and from the Northern Ireland government recognising the potential... Uh, Huge windfall that yeah. this region's going to suffer, this region's going to get. Yeah. Whether it's the Carringford or Meath area, or whether it's Greencastle and Warren Point, it's still going to be a win win situation. Absolutely. Uh, and when would you say uh, we'll realise uh, the uh, victory uh, of all of that? Uh, five years or so? Ten years? I think we'll see the tourism potential of it as soon as the bridge is completed. And yeah. we're talking about the, the, doc, the bridge starting this time next year. So I don't know how long... Will it, will it, will it take that? Will, will it start that quick? Okay. Yeah, well, the, you mean, the land is purchased yeah. on both sides. Um, the plan is in place. Yeah. So, uh, the, so the tender just goes back out on the same basis as it had, had been gone out before. Right. So I don't really see that there's an offer of hold-up other than, you know, the only hold-up in the past has been, where's the money? Okay. You know? Mm. And... The, the work, you see, all of that planning work, all of that other work was done when Con Murray was was actually the mm. chief executive of Louth County Council. Yep. So that's not the day or yesterday. And, and, and when, as I said, Veradco was was uh, minister for okay. transport. I think right. that was two thousand and twelve. Couple of years then. Uh, okay, very good. Uh, um, look, it's a win for the region. Yeah, it'll it's transform the, the whole region. area. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And whether you know, and, and County Louth. And, and me, the surrounding between Newgrange and 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 and, uh, and the whole history that this region has, we have we have underutilized our tourism potential okay. for years. Paddy, I have to leave it there. This is a boost, in the, a boost at last. I'm over time. Uh, it, it, it will transform the region, and it will be an unbelievable boost for the region. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Paddy, thank you indeed for joining us on the program this morning. Paddy Malone, PRO with Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, a listener in Meath texting us uh, this morning saying uh, when she was growing up uh, she wasn't allowed to talk to her mother uh, about babies or where babies came from. Couldn't talk about periods. My stomach used to be turned inside out every month when I got them at the age of 11. I was told if I got pregnant I'd be put into a home uh, about time. Uh, that uh, this type of approach that the HSE is taking is being took. Margaret is texting us today as well. Thanks as always for your text, Margaret. She says, unlike Russia, people here have the right to think and to speak for themselves. We're also entitled to know what was said about Ireland and uh, its people by Vilatov. Dictators should not be allowed to dictate in a democratic country. It's time their embassy was closed, she says. Uh, Barney in Knockbridge says, can we get these 52 politicians on this list banned from Dundalk as well as Russia? (laughs) Thanks, uh, Barney. Uh, Tom in Navin says, Michael, I think this list is much the same 
list with more names added to it come the next general election not to get voted in. The Russians actually seem to be ahead of uh, their time on this one. Tongue-in-cheek, of course, says Tom. Or maybe not, he says. Thanks, as always, for your message, Tom and Navin. Paddy Duffy, thank you, too, for uh, taking the time to get in touch with us uh, again today. He says, in relation to the travel ban on our politicians uh, and officials, they're in good company. Uh, and they must be doing something right, if that's uh, the case. Uh, thank you, indeed. Cahill Mornington says, Michael, don't assume that everyone was against the attack on the Russian embassy. I, for one, applauded the attack and bemoaned the fact that there aren't more. Leaving aside the atrocities in Ukraine, remember the cyber attack on our health service and the war games in our waters, the poisonings in the UK, the representatives of this rogue nation need to be hounded out of our country and as soon as possible, says Cahill in Mornington. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. If you'd like to get in touch with us yourself, our telephone number is 041 Text or WhatsApp us if you prefer. The number for that, 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658 if you want to text or WhatsApp or email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, this Sunday is World Day of Remembrance for Road Traffic Victims. It's a day that's been marked in this country since 2006. And we're joined by Michael O'Neill, a a local man who brought it to the attention of people in Ireland uh, and started started this annual event in this country. Good morning to you once again, Michael. Nice as always to talk to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. People will remember you speaking on this programme back in 2006 about the way you had been Googling and discovered that there was this United Nations Day uh, to remember victims uh, who had lost their lives uh, on the roads and uh, it was something that obviously had touched you and touched you deeply because of your own experience. Yes, Michael, good morning. Uh, it was about back in 2006. Uh, I was checking, as you said, I was checking the internet and uh, I was checking the lady's site. Ursula Quinn was her name and she she had lost her daughter. She was doing a walk from Logan to Kildare where her daughter was killed and she was looking for people to join her. <coughs> so I joined her at the top of the road here at Monster Voice at Silog and walked into the daughter with her. That evening I was checking her website to see how far she got on. And in big red writing across the top of the screen was the 19th of November, World Day of Remembrance for Old Flag Victims. And I was wondering, what is Fiona and Dominic's anniversary doing up on the screen like that? I made a lot of inquiries through the NRA and Garda Shirkana. The RSA was only in their infancy at the time. <clears throat> and... I said it to a few people, and Father Iggy O'Donovan got to hear about it and contacted me, and uh, the rest is history, Michael, from there on. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Iggy organised that Mass in the Augustinian, and that's uh, where uh, the Day of Remembrance in this country started in 2006, and coincides with the loss of your daughter and her her boyfriend, Dominic, on the roads in such tragic circumstances uh, before they were uh, due to start a a new life in in Australia, two very young lives lost. Uh, Yes, As you're acutely aware, uh, Michael, uh, they're not the only ones. Uh, The statistics from uh, the Road Safety Authority are astounding, to say the least. Uh, We heard Liz O'Donnell in the ad break talk about uh, the terrible loss of life on our roads in October, 12 deaths. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Uh, but we're talking about 24,814 people who have died on Irish roads since records began in 1959. Uh, they started recording the number of injuries on Irish roads back in 1977 and since then 86,703 people have been seriously injured uh, and many of those of course would have had life-changing injuries. Yeah. Well, it's it, it said that for every road fatality there's at least 10 people affected, uh, family, friends affected. And it's 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 an awful lot of people that when you add when you add them all up together. Mm. But uh, the, you you say my Iggy got started. Yes, I have to stress that it was also in knock on the same day. As you said, it was me that put it out there. But there was one. Or, I think there's two or three others on the, mm. on the day that had it, but it, they weren't publicised. Let me put it that way. Yeah. But ever since now, uh, thankfully the RSA has taken it on board to launch it every year. Mm. And there's a, a lot of counties now uh, that uh, the World Day Remembrance takes place uh, in all over the country. I would say mm. there's probably a lot of. Uh, uh, Places that just don't put it out there that they are having it, but there are a lot of places throughout the country yeah. that remember our loved ones. Yeah. Well, when you add all of those um, statistics together, you're talking about an awful lot of people who have lost their lives yeah. uh, and who have been seriously injured. Uh, and as you say, for each one of those, there's 10 people 
who would have known uh, the individuals involved in these incidents. Uh, So uh, undoubtedly it's touched most people uh, to some capacity in in the country, so little wonder that that is the case. Uh, It's impossible to get your head around, though, isn't it, Michael? It it is is impossible. It's a thing you just can't, what would you say, dwell on or think about, because the head wouldn't take it. But it's something that never leaves you. It's with you 24-7. Yeah. Uh, you may, people may see you, may be laughing and joking, but the fact of it all, it's that little piece is missing. Yeah, yeah. and it's different uh, if somebody dies of natural causes or uh, if uh, they've been sick and, um, you know, a disease gets the better of them or whatever the case may be. But when somebody... Uh, goes out uh, on any day of the week and doesn't come back like that. Uh, It's not something that you can ever uh, make sense of. And quite often that is uh, the case. Uh, And quite often a lot of these deaths and injuries can be prevented. uh, And I suppose uh, there's two strands uh, to the Remembrance Day for road traffic victims. Uh, One is a road safety message to appeal to people not to become a statistic themselves. Yes, that's right. And then the second is, uh, of course, uh, this feeling of solidarity uh, that uh, those who have been affected uh, will be very familiar with o- o- over the years uh, and there'll be many people meeting in Drogheda on Sunday for the annual Mass as well. There will be, Michael. There will be. And, uh, each year you might see a, a new face there and you know that's somebody else now that has to go down the big long road. And it's also a day, Michael, that we we as victims thank the emergency services for, for the work they do they're at the coalface of, of uh, road traffic collisions yeah. uh, the doctors the nurses the fire the guardie yeah. uh, that's their uh, force on the scene yeah. uh, and they're always represented as well at the mass oh they are they yeah. are yes the, the both uh, politicians as well they, they have a big part to play in, in changing these laws to make our world safer and there will be some politicians there on Sunday and all our councillors or, or a mayor will be there and the, the chief superintendent and Drogheda and uh, we, we will this year we'll have a representative uh, one of the directors from the Road Safety Authority will be in attendance Okay all right, it's a, a special day, unfortunately for an awful lot of people, Michael, uh, but a, a chance for all of those people to come together a quarter past one in the Augustinian Church on Sunday. Yes, yes. Uh, Michael, could I just ask, I hope you don't mind me saying no. this, mm-hmm. uh, if people on Sunday could put a candle in the window in remembrance of road traffic victims. Okay. No matter where you are. Okay. No matter where you are, yes. Okay, that's a nice idea, Michael. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure we'll all do that. Uh, good, good. Okay, thank you very much indeed, uh, Michael O'Neill. Uh, asking that you put a candle in your window this Sunday to remember uh, people who lost their lives on Irish roads. Um, and if you wish to attend uh, the mass on Sunday, it's a quarter past one in the Augustinian Church in Drogheda, and all of this is part of the World Day. 
of remembrance for road traffic victims. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, a lot of people are very upset about uh, the increase in uh, the tolls, and that includes members of government. I'm informed that the setting of tolls is uh, not a government decision. It's a statutory function of Transport Infrastructure Ireland. Although there are some procedural differences between the two public roads, the M50 in the Dublin Tunnel and the HPPP roads, uh, obviously news of the increase is not welcome. Um, M50... Uh, toll is in my constituency and you can imagine a lot of people uh, travel south and north uh, and pay that toll um, not just every day but twice a day so uh, this is um, uh, this is uh, um, uh, very unwelcome um, as is required by legislation TAI will shortly publish details of the proposals in the national media prior to their introduction um, and um, I think uh, from a government point of view we can uh, take it up with them at that point but I don't want to make a commitment that I might be able to honour um, the, the power to decide the toll levels doesn't lie with government, it lies with TII. Right, that's uh, tarnished it. Leo Radker speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday. Let's speak to Paddy Cummins, who's head of communications with AA Ireland. Good morning, Paddy. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. If the Tarnishta doesn't like it, if the Tarnishta is upset about it, and the Tarnishta can't do anything about it, there's very little any of us can do about it, I take it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very interesting to hear such a uh, such a quick response and such a distancing from the increase in, in pricing. But look, in, in some ways, when we do these public private partnerships, it's great. In some ways, you know, we've we've some much better roads than we ever dreamed of, uh, you know, thirty years ago across the country, and some of them are very good and very well maintained. But I think it's the M50 that really gets under people's fingernails because we've seen you know decades of this being mismanaged messed up badly planned and we're still paying for it and now we're paying more for it so this i think it's the m50 in particular now not just you know downgrading Mm -hmm. the increases on the other ones but i think it's that one in particular that um that gets on people's nerves yeah and we all use this and sometimes we regret getting on it uh, because we uh, don't know when we're going to get off it uh, but uh, there's going to be significant increases on the m50 yeah they are and and those you know they they vary from 20 to 30 or 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 more depending on what you're driving or how you pay for it so obviously the cheapest way is to use a tag but you know for 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 Mm. commercial vehicle operators as well especially locally you know who have to travel up and down the m1 or, or use the m50 you know that those they're increasing costs they are saying it's crippling and, and it's and it's getting to the point and I've talked to you know bus, bus and coach operators recently and they you know it's very very you know critical time for them because some of those now are um facing diesel and, price, and petrol hikes you know diesel in particular hikes which are all, almost putting them out of business and, and now to add this to it as well is a is a real issue and and we, you know you and I have spoken about this mm. before the public transport network is by far from perfect you know we're not so bad in the northeast but you know when you go out or go to other areas of the country it's it's, it's awful it's truly awful yeah well uh, for some of these uh, trucks uh, it could be seven seven ten to use uh, the road uh, and uh, a return journey would bring that obviously up to fourteen twenty. yeah i saw an operator on rt news last night you know speaking about thirty two thousand euro mm. increase uh, you know in their costs you know what i mean so it's it's when you see it in those sorts of large numbers that are really affected but but it's it's regular people as well you yeah. know, especially who are, are, are you know coming out of Drogheda heading through um, you know 
the the port the tunnel on the M the toll on the M1. Some of them are using the port tunnel because they have to get there to a certain time, which could cost them a tenner. Mm. And and then there's people you know um, heading around the M50 and not having any benefit by going around the M50. They're just going slightly less, slightly faster than the uh, log jam yeah. that they're avoiding. The port tunnel is very dear, but prices are to stay the same on that, aren't they? Prices are to stay the same, but uh, we are seeing more and more people using it at peak times because they just don't have an alternative. So now that's, that's 10 euro for yeah. I've done it myself because I might have had to get to an appointment or a meeting or something like that. Yeah, but why are they um, not increasing? Why are the others increasing if the port tunnel doesn't need to increase? I, 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 think, I, for road I maintenance. it's dear enough. I don't think they could possibly, uh, with a straight face, increase from uh, 10 euro to 11 euro or from three, you know, three euro already off peak, which is not cheap for, for a toll. So I, I don't think with a straight face they could... Uh, put that one up maybe that was the concession to us oh well look we didn't put the, the, the uh, port tunnel up you know yeah but I, I thought it was in line with the inflation because the cost of everything uh, including road maintenance has gone up so you need to increase the charges to cover the extra costs yeah well we haven't seen an answer and TII have been um, very very quiet over the last few, uh, uh, 24 hours they did put out a statement um, but I haven't heard um, any any interviews they certainly haven't been on TV so they've they put out a statement and sort of sat on it from there but you know I think it looks like they might get their knuckles wrapped uh, at some stage It sounded like that from the Tarnishship but doesn't the state own the M50? Well yeah the state um, that's a a good question the state by now certainly uh, owns the M50 but um, I think there's still there's still an agreement with a public-private partnership on which which are doing elements of it as well in in terms of those average speed Mm. cameras that we've seen as well but it's um, it's certainly something that, you know, I was, I was only just speaking there in another station about the fact that, you know, my mother has to Croatian and I've been in Croatia several times and, and there comes a point where the tolls are just taken away because that road is paid for and that's it. You never see the toll again. Mm. And, you know, we, we, we never see that happen here and it's a, it's a shame and it should happen. Uh, you talked about people using the toll on the M1. Uh, if you're going to Galway and you include that, uh, you'd be going through four tolls and four tolls back. Yeah, absolutely, and and there are people uh, you know who do this very often as well. <laughs> it's uh, you know just as part of their commuting, <laughs> and and then when you look at increased costs potentially as well for there, there's a talk of increased uh, costs for parking in the city centre of Dublin if you need to go there too. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, look, uh, you know it's if if it was just a way of pushing people out into public transport. That, if it existed, obviously in inverted commas, that would be one thing. But it doesn't seem to be that, and that's what I think gets some people's nerves. Like yeah. Public transport is is I'm started to use. I, I live in Drada, and I started to use public transport to go to Dublin mm. because it's just it's just you know it's the only way to avoid a you know an, aneurysm from sitting in traffic all the time. <laughs> okay, but but, um, but it's uh, it's it's you know it is yeah. it is. Okay, but for other people around, you know, Leitrim, Thurless, mm. areas like that, dreadful. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and easier for some to use public transport than others. Uh, and definitely, if you live in Dublin, let's say, uh, you can jump on a, a bus. Uh, for most people, that would be the case to go to work. Uh, but you'll have to get to work, uh, and that'll be your choice. But uh, for people in places like Meath, uh, there's little choice. And most workers in County Meath commute. Uh, the jobs aren't available locally, and they'll be paying these increases on the M3 as well. But I suppose yeah, the, the other argument is you don't have to use the road. There's always alternative routes. Well, I mean, there are if you want to take even longer. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the problem is, is that there's always been 
when any when you produce any toll road, there's, yeah. there's always an increase in the arterial routes around it. So it's not like they're those have been abandoned and everyone's sitting on the M50. It's far from it. Mm. Uh, the, you know, the city centre, if, I, I don't know if you've driven, tried driving it through it during the day up and down the quays, absolutely appalling delays mm. because they've deliberately made it as such that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something that isn't appealing to travel into by car. So, uh, you know, single lane up the, uh, up the, the both sides of the quay. So it can take you you know, if you're trying to go to a meeting or something like that, it yeah. takes you ages. So there's this active discouragement of pushing, you know, pushing people out of the city centre without um, necessarily thinking of um, who needs to use it. Yeah. You know, there are still people who don't feel safe, Michael, on, on public transport, and, and, and you know, you mm. can understand that, especially at certain. No, times. but there always has to be an alternative route to a toll, and it is a very good argument. If you don't want to pay the toll, take the alternative route. But that in itself. Uh, his reason for concern that the towns uh, and back roads will be blocked up as a result. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, we know ourselves, you know, I certainly as a drama man, I, I know what it's like to try and even get around our own town uh, at, on, a, on a Friday evening and a Friday afternoon. And, um, you know, it's so there, that's an effect of people avoiding bypasses and avoiding tolls. And if that increases, we're going to see greater congestion even in our own towns. Mm. That's the inevitable outcome, is it? Uh, given the costs uh, for the big trucks, uh, that we're going to get back to that situation that they stop using the motorway. Yeah, it would appear to be the case because, and you know, you can in, in some ways you can't blame the operators because the cost has to go somewhere, and um, we are not giving them uh, a, a reasonable alternative. You know, the whole point of bypasses is to make things easier, and and we successfully uh, manage in some cases to to make it worse. Okay, we'll leave there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us as always. That's Paddy Cummins, who's Head of Communications with AA Ireland. Now, uh, a couple of messages to us. James in Drogheda says, uh, for fear of sounding like a a broken record, uh, the toll situation will not be sorted out until every road going into a motorway in uh, the country uh, until um, they toll every road uh, going into a a motorway in the country. I I guess if people in Dundalk had to pay to use motorways, we'd see a change, says James. Uh, Another text then on the Narrow Water Bridge. Trish says, Michael, substantial funding coming into the area. A bridge is about to be built. It'll result in massive tourism, north-south benefits, and you still managed to criticise it and run down our government and the Taoiseach, Michal Martin. I give up, says Trish. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. You might have a point, Trish, uh, but I-, I hope there is a-, a point in that there was a commitment to British money for that bridge and we've decided to go ahead without the British money but uh, I I take your point uh, and I do think you have a point uh, in what you're saying Uh, we'll be back uh, discussing that uh, I think on Monday and if uh, you want to make comment on that now before uh, the next time we talk about it on the programme we'd love to hear from you Uh, should we have waited uh, for Stormont uh, to be restored for the Assembly to have the opportunity to contribute its fair share because there will be equal benefits, will there not, north and south of the border? Or is it right uh, for Michal Martin uh, to make this money available before he steps down as Taoiseach? 
to fulfil a commitment he made. Uh, you can let us know, or if there's something else you want to talk about, maybe you want to talk about the tolls or something else, uh, we'd love to hear from you no matter what it is. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. That's 041-983-2000. You can text or you can WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658. And you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the cost of uh, electricity is uh, through the roof and uh, we're all bewildered looking at our, our bills and wondering how we're going to pay them. It seems uh, that some in business are finding them unaffordable. The upshot of that and Oroctus Committee has been told will be the closure of many shops. Orgy Data represents some 3,500 businesses in the country and they estimate that 1,000 shops will close because of increased energy prices. The Enterprise Committee heard yesterday from Colin Fee, a businessman in County Louth, who said that the financial crash of 2008 and the COVID-19 pandemic endangered business, but not as much as the current energy crisis is doing today. Let's uh, speak now to Tara Buckley, who's uh, the Director General of RG Data. And a uh, very good morning to you, Tara, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, Undoubtedly, you're looking for support to get through this crisis. Good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on. Yes, I mean, as Colin, who, who's our president of Data, said in, to the Oireachtas Committee members, you know, he's in business for 35 years. He has four uh, convenience stores in and around County Louth. And he said um, that this is the first time in all his years in business that he's actually feared for the very future of his business. Because he's gone through, you know, lots of times and lots of businesses along the border have gone through times where, you know, they've been tough and challenging, but it's never been as challenging as it is now. And the primary reason for that is, along with all the other different cost increases, the increases in the cost of energy for the sort of food convenience retailers that Orgy Data represents is horrendous. We're looking at uh, smaller shops getting, you know, seeing their bills jump from maybe around five, six thousand a month to twenty, twenty two, twenty three thousand a month. For the supermarket owners, we're looking at maybe an extra two hundred thousand a year in terms of energy costs. This is a very tight margin business. So trying to find an extra, you know, for a smaller shop trying to find an extra, you know, fifteen thousand a month is just it's just unsustainable. It just can't be done. And we're really, really concerned about the impact these increases are having. Mm. Uh, does that mean that smaller shops in particular are becoming unviable? And, and that's the sad thing is that these are viable businesses. They, they are viable in the normal run of events. But because of these ginormous bills they're beginning to feel that they are not viable mm. and they can't, they, they can dip into their pension pots or their savings or, you know, or, or if they've borrowed stuff to do things, they might be able to dip into that. But the reality is on a day-to-day basis, they can't, there's no way they can put their prices up to cover these costs. Yeah. Uh, they know that consumers are hard-pressed. They know that everyone is struggling with the cost of living and they can't, put themselves in a position where their customers just won't come to the shop. So, that's if, well, that's viable. it. If you put your prices up uh, to cover the extra costs, 
uh, you're not viable because you won't have customers uh, and obviously you need to trade uh, in order to stay in business uh, and if you don't put your prices up you have these increased costs uh, and the normal world as we knew it has turned on its head and this is the new normal that instead of paying 5,000 uh, you're going to uh, see that go to 20,000. Uh, so uh, how can that be covered? Well, I mean, we, we, we asked the committee to look at the, the, the temporary scheme that they've put out, the emergency scheme that they've put in place. We've asked them to look at that and, and hopefully revise it and backdate it to when these bills started to jump. So we have members who saw their bills jump by 100%, 200% from July, August, September, not, not just from the start of September. So we're asking them to look at potentially backdating the, the scheme, but also we think the scheme will, may need to be extended and it may need to be revised. We're also looking at um, support for um, retailers who want to make their businesses more efficient. Um, you know, because obviously if we can reduce our energy consumption and costs, but there is a caveat that if you're a fresh food retailer, you have, you know, costs to do with energy that you, we've done a lot, our members have done a huge amount to try and become more efficient. A lot of them have invested heavily in more sustainable methods of, um, you know, um, energy and things like that, solar and other types of, um, you know, um, energy sustainability. But the reality is that they're, they're still seeing huge jumps, even though they reduce their consumption, they're still seeing huge jumps in their, in their energy costs. And the reality is for a shop, you can't you can only do so much in terms of, you know, turning fridges off or turning lights off at certain times. Yeah. And, you know, you, you can only do so much. You, you have to have the lights on if your customers are coming. You have to have the fridges working if you want to keep the food fresh. And you estimate that a, a thousand shops are on the edge. They're on the brink. Uh, and with that, the potential loss of 30,000 jobs? We, at the moment, we believe that our members will will limp to Christmas. That, because Christmas is a sort of uh, time of the year for, for food and convenience retailers that they look to, 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 to support them throughout the year. It's usually a time when consumers are going to be spending the money. Consumers want to have a good Christmas and they're going to be, you know, looking to, to, to buy nice things. So the reality is that we think that the shops will all work towards getting through Christmas. But if we still have the same type of bills in January, February, um, we these shops would not be able to survive. And that's why we put that figure on it. We, we believe that up to a third of shops are in danger of closing because they cannot afford to sustain these type of price increases. Mm. I take it that would leave a, a lot of communities without a shop, uh, some villages without a shop, if that was to transpire. And, and that's what we, 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 you know, people remember back when COVID how important their local family-owned community shop is to their community, how important it is to have a shop that you can get to within a, a short distance of your home, making it easy and convenient for you. Um, so we, we said to the Erotis Committee that these are viable shops. They are, they are their, their consumers and their customers and their communities want them to stay in place. We just need some support to help us get through this time and we believe that we can, we will be viable once we get through this this time when we have these ginormous energy costs. Mm. And this time, meaning the war and uh, the increase in global gas prices and so on. Do you believe that that will reverse? Well, look, we also asked the politicians to really interrogate 
these bills and these energy costs and the also the additional costs that are added to energy bills. Because, you know, it's hard for us to fathom how prices could go from, you know, up to 400% increase in a, in a matter of a few months. Mm. We understand there's a war, we understand all of that. But there is a feeling, to be honest with you, that there's also some, you know, increasing in prices that's that may not be necessary, that's, that's over the top. And we really would like to understand why all those other charges that are on your electricity bill are going up as well. I mean, some of our members, they're paying their unit costs and then they've another five or 6,000 in all those extra charges that they add onto your electricity bill. So we'd like a really hard interrogation of all of those costs to let us understand whether they're required or not. Well, you're not the only one who feels that way. I think the United Nations has said as much and that energy companies are profiteering out of this war. But there is a worry about that. And the other worry that our members are having is that for some of our members, they've just been informed by Electric Ireland that they're doing another increase of 38% on the 1st of December. Now, that's first of all, the warning about that is coming to some um, businesses this week. You know, Telling people that their prices are going up by another 38% in a, in a matter of days, you know, that's, they're the sort of shocks that it's really difficult for businesses to sustain. It's exactly the same as it's difficult for consumers and, you know, families to, to, to sustain being told overnight, literally, that you're going to have to pay 38% more. Mm. I mean, it, and that effectively will negate the, the government scheme that they've put in place, which is, a, is sort of a 40% of your extra costs is the maximum you'll be able to get from that scheme. So suddenly another price increase is pretty much negating what the government have put in the pot to try and help businesses get through this. Yeah, it's an almost impossible situation, uh, as you outline it, Taryn. I think everybody understands what you're saying and uh, would agree with you. And there's a lot of consensus, but there's little in the way of solutions, it seems. Well, yes, but they, I suppose the main thing we, we said is that there's, there's a lot of other things coming down the line and we just need to ensure that we think about everything in, in its entirety and the impact it'll have on these essential local businesses and try and make sure that we introduce there's, there's a number of schemes that the government are bringing in, which, look, we're in favour of them. We think they're, you know, that's fine. But the reality is if you're phasing in, you know, wage increases, sick pay introduction, pensions, things like that, which we understand the need for and everything else. But the reality is trying to bring them all in at the same time as we're going through this type of a crisis with these type of extra horrendous costs being placed on a business. We just need to make sure that there are supports put in place to help these businesses get through this phase so that they can come out the other side and pay all those costs. Okay, well, let's hope that everybody gets through this and comes out the other side, as you put it. Tara, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Tara Buckley is uh, the Director General of RG Data. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the Irish Primary Principles Network has been holding its annual conference in Killarney uh, this week, and uh, there is a concern that is common to all of uh, the principals attending, it seems, and that's a shortage of staff. The, um, uh, the pay increases for teachers um, kick in this week, um, and teachers will receive their pay increase um, from the Department of Education in their in, in their pay slips this week and throughout the month and that includes the back pay uh, to February which obviously will help financially. Uh, we, we do have a teacher shortage, we're very much aware of it and we're uh, working on solutions. I know the IPPN conference is happening um, 
I think today, and Minister Foley is going to be there and we'll engage with them. And they've made some good suggestions, which I think we need to um, give good consideration to. I am told that a lot of the shortage is linked to this move away from the HDIP to a two-year master's, which has knocked out the best part of a year's supply. Uh, I'm not sure if that was anticipated or not, but it ought to have been. Um, but that is something that will will wash its way out of the system. That's the Taunisha. Leo Bradker speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Let's speak to Brian Collins, who is uh, the principal at Skull Fecken Primary School in Termin Fecken. Good morning to you, Brian, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, this Good is morning, Michael. Thanks, th- thanks for the opportunity to uh, have a chat about this again. You're, you're, you're very welcome, uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. There is uh, a shortage of staff, generally speaking, a shortage of teachers, uh, and you say you hold your breath hoping that somebody can help if one of your teachers suddenly falls ill and you need a sub. I was reading about this in the Irish Independent yesterday. Yeah, unfortunately that's the case at the moment, Michael. Uh, as you know, I spoke to you about this about a year and a half ago and um, if anything the problem has become more pronounced now. Um, we there is some there, there may be some opportunity for you to to um to book a sub if you have advance notice so for example if a teacher has a medical appointment or or something like that a couple of weeks in weeks in advance you may have time uh to book somebody in if somebody's available uh, to take a class but if it's a last minute if it's covid leave or last minute uh, sickness it's extremely challenging and I, most of the time i don't hold out any hope of securing anybody if it's the morning of, of a day where you need a sub or even a day or two before because of the just chronic uh, shortage of uh, teachers uh, available to us. I, I would say, Michael, it is, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a regional problem um, that, you know, uh, back in the west of Ireland and in other areas in Ireland, the, the problem isn't as serious. But certainly along the eastern seaboard, particularly uh, Greater Dublin area, Loud, East Meads, uh, Kildare, Wicklow, situation is very, very bad at the moment, very serious. Mm. Uh, and uh, ultimately, of course, you know, you're, you're juggling uh, to try to make sure that there is a, a teacher in front of a class every day of the week, and that's not always possible. If it's not possible, what do you do? And it's not just uh, a dilemma that you face in Termin Fecken. I was reading uh, that no, you no. estimate that there's 30 schools across Louth, East Mead and North Dublin who are in this situation. So what do you do if there isn't a teacher available? Oh, no. Michael, 30, far more than 30. Like, we did a little um, a survey. I know uh, the Irish Independent were doing a piece there the other day, and at the weekend, I, um, there are 80 principals in our Northeast uh, Leadership Support Group, and I just texted everybody. I said, listen, just give me a quick snapshot of where you are in terms of, like, the, 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 the base problem is that schools don't actually have staff in the first place, not to mind looking for substitutes, so they don't actually have teachers applying for fixed-term jobs. So you're talking about jobs for a year, six months, four months, eight months, nine months. Nobody's applying for those jobs. So you're, you're already uh, on the back foot before you have a short-term absence. So if you have a short-term absence like we have, like every school in the country uh, is, is likely to have on any given day, you're saying, OK, well, for, how can we manage this? Can we get a sub? Mm-hmm. Can we get somebody to stand in? Like, I'm in the fortune position. I'm an ad- administration principal, so I could step in for an hour or two in the morning to a class. And, okay, get, the, get the, the children set up to do some work. Then I might get the assistance of a special education teacher for a while. Now, f- where that, um, that is unsatisfactory, because that special education teacher's role 
is to support children with additional needs and they need that teacher. Yeah. Last year we had the fallback and it was very useful that if you couldn't find a substitute on any given day, you could hold that day until later in the year and pay back those hours when it's when student teachers became available in May and June and you were able to, let's say, a child with um, with additional needs lost three or four days over the course of the year because their special education teacher had to fill in in the class. You were able to give those child that child back three or four days of intensive teaching later on. Now, mm. those, that, those banked hours, are, are, that's what they were called. They're, they're mm. Actually, we're not allowed to do that this year, which is a shame, and I think... They're just gone. Useful. They evaporated. It was an emergency measure, but it's not as if we're not uh, affected by COVID anymore, yeah. uh, and it's still, it's, we're, uh, it's still happening. We're, it, we're still, yeah, have very little choice what to do when we, when we can't source us up. Is pay the problem? The partnership seemed to no. be implying uh, that pay increases this week may change that problem. Uh, no, it's it, it's it's not. I would say um, uh, in you will see that, 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 that there are a number of young teachers who have travelled travelled abroad. Teachers are living certainly in the Greater Dublin area are struggling a little bit. Not just teachers, uh, all workers because, due to the to the rise of cost of living, rental property, trying to make make up deposits for houses. Mm. But everybody's everybody's in the same boat there. But I would say that there are. Uh, some teachers who feel, particularly after two, two and a half years, three years of COVID, when they haven't had the opportunity to travel, and young teachers, like I would be encouraging young teachers to, to broaden their horizons, get a bit of experience internationally and yeah. come back to them to work. It's a great there. thing to do, yeah. But, mm-hmm. but maybe I, I would say that, that young teachers are, are, are working in an urban environment for a couple of years, realising then that they have really no prospect of ever having an, a house of their own and then moving back to their maybe their to, to Mayo or Roscommon or Galway yeah. or Clare, where there are more jobs than there are here, uh, uh, permanent jobs. Okay, and uh, it's not just teachers though, is it? There's a shortage of principals. And, and listening to you earlier on talk about all the balls uh, that you're <laughs> juggling, uh, you'd wonder who do the job and the stress yeah, that goes with well, it. And it, it seems from an IPPN survey that 16% of jobs advertised looking for principals had to be re-advertised. Yeah, it's it's particularly um, a challenge. Teaching principals' jobs are particularly challenging. You have a full complement of uh, children, so you have 25, 26, 27, 28 children that you have to to teach every day. Then you have the running of the school. There was a, a, a report published yesterday uh, by IPPN that they've been working on for the last year and a half, and it was to to show clearly to everybody how unsustainable the role of school principal has become over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And the, the whole focus for school principals has completely shifted from t- the focus on teaching and learning to managing and managing crisis sometimes and just keeping the building in shape and grants and financial yeah. and all of the things that are we're not trained to do a quarter a quarter it's a vocation or you'd imagine it's a vocation when people start out but a quarter of uh, the principals are retiring early because they've had enough well yeah because it is a very challenging uh, role and and, and I think there's a level of frustration there the teachers went into teaching uh, for educational reasons and suddenly HR managers and building maintenance managers and you know that's not what we want to do. We want to focus our time and the majority of our time on curriculum development, ensuring there's a high quality of teaching in, in, in every school and uh, 
teaching and learning in the classrooms, maintaining high-quality education for all of our children. Yeah. Not a lot of the things we are spending a lot of time at on at the moment. Okay, despite all of those challenges, Brian, I, I know that all the kids in school fucking fa- uh, really admire their principal, uh, uh, so it's our honour to have you I, with us this morning. I, Thank I, you I would indeed. love to believe that, and I, that's very good of you to say. Well, I, I love working, and I get such great satisfaction from, uh, and most of my my friends who are who are principals mm-hmm. and teachers mm-hmm. get, get such a kick out of it, and we, we love our jobs, but it could be just a little bit easier, yeah, sure. and maybe yeah. some things that the government could do to uh, to help the children, to help schools, and maybe to help principals along as well. Okay, thank you. Brian Collins is principal at Skull Fecken Primary School in Terman Fecken. Maggie McGuire researched today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 660 4237. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.